Welcome back, everybody. We are at episode 12 now already, and we are getting close to the holidays. Today we're recording. It's the 12th of December. Or sorry, 13th of December, actually. And uh, we got our usual suspects here. We got Christy from Grills Can Grill, and Derek from Over the Fire Cooking, myself, Jonathan from Brio. And uh, today will be a little bit different. We're going to be talking about the um, recent trip Derek made to Pennsylvania. He was just here last weekend for three days. And uh, we had some good times. You probably saw some of that stuff on social media if you follow uh, either Brio or Over the Fire Cooking. So Christy um, wants to ask us some questions and have us kind of tell the story of what went down that weekend. So Christy, why don't you uh, take it from here? Yeah, so it was super fun to watch you guys on Instagram this weekend. Um, for those people who listen to our show, you guys know how much we love hanging food on an Osador across or just, just hanging food over fire in general. And, you know, we've talked about a lot of different techniques that we've done or a lot of different proteins that we've done. Um, but you guys tried something totally new and different. Um, so I want to, I want to just talk to you guys about how this all started. What was your goal when you went? out into the forest to try to find this deer and just, just walk me through the process uh, from the beginning of the hunt to um, leading us down to that great meal that you guys prepared. Jonathan, I think you should kick it off on where we were at and uh, just kind of what, what we were kind of doing out there for the start. Sure. So Derek and I, I talked about when, when he was here last time in the summer, I think it was in Pennsylvania, we talked about, um, you know, getting, he was saying he wanted to get more involved in the outdoors, you know, get more exposure on the hunting side because it's so integral to the, to the food side. Um, and just, the, he would, Derek was telling me how a lot of his followers are outdoorsmen and they want to see recipes with wild game. And that's a big, a big interest category with a lot of people. So we were talking about that. And then we were out at social feast in Utah and we did the whole, uh, hog over the asado. My brain started turning. I was like, man, I've never, I've been in the hunting industry for, at least paying attention to the industry for maybe 15 years now. I've never seen that done ever, not one time in America, even though venison recipes are very, very abundant. So I was like, how cool would it be to have Derek come to Pennsylvania, harvest a deer, and then cook it all out the door, just like we did that hog, and uh, and just have it be a learning experience for us and for people that are paying attention, and, and we could just like really kind of push the line on this. And so... That was kind of the, the original idea to sort of combine those two, the, the uh, Sato style cooking and Derek, you know, having harvesting his first year. So we planned it for uh, December 7th weekend, uh, which is the second weekend of gun season in Maryland, where we hunt it's just down uh, about an hour and a half from, from Brio here. And so that was the, the plan. So Derek came in on Friday and we were here at Brio on Friday doing some business stuff. And then we had a Saturday and then we cooked on Sunday. So Derek, what was your, uh, can you kind of explain your uh, process going into this? Yeah. So, I mean, I have never actually really hunted deer. Um, I've definitely done some bird hunting, but I felt like deer was just a, a whole different kind of ball game in a lot of ways, obviously. Um, just a whole different strategy in some ways. And uh, either way, I was really excited to go out with Jonathan because uh, he actually goes out and you hunt deer a lot. Uh, and so I also have a lot of people on social media that really want to be like, we want to be responsible meat eaters in a lot of ways. I think that there is a big push, this idea that eating meat is irresponsible. However, I think there are ways that you can 
uh, be a meat eater and be wholeheartedly responsible and also adding a lot of value. Uh, I'm definitely no expert uh, when it comes to the hunting side, uh, but after talking with Jonathan and talking with a bunch of people on social media, just understanding that um, where you know the whitetail and some of the deer populations are at, especially on the East Coast, and the fact that it provides such a high quality protein of meat uh, and feeds a lot of people. I just thought, well, you know what? I think that this is a great opportunity to kind of dive into a new world that I, I never grew up in and I didn't necessarily know too much about. So um, Jonathan, you took me out and we kind of went uh, shooting the day before. I definitely have been able to shoot a lot of guns in my life. Um, but that 12 gauge that we were shooting out there was uh, that was a kicker for sure. And so we had we had a lot of fun shooting that and uh, hanging out with uh, Amos and some of the other guys out there shooting the guns and, and just getting ready. And then the following day, we woke up at 3 a.m. in the morning and we drove all the way out from Pennsylvania all the way out to Maryland. Uh, and we went on to a place uh, where Jonathan and a few of his friends um, have permission to hunt on private land. And we got into a box blind and we were able to hang out there for most of the morning. I, I think that that was one of the bigger things that I didn't, I wasn't necessarily expecting as much as just how like, you know, there's a lot of downtime. You're waiting, you're waiting to find the deer. You're waiting for the right opportunity to come kind of arise. And so I was getting a, a huge kick out of that. We were just hanging out and, uh, and then Jonathan, do you want to uh, do you want to kind of tell what what happened with our first attempt uh, at getting yeah, sure. it? Yes, yeah, so we had a small episode in the morning. Um, it was maybe an hour, not even quite an hour after daylight, probably four or five minutes. And there, there's a big cut cornfield in front of the box blind, and it's just a uh, bare field. And way across the field, we saw a deer walking straight towards us. And um, so we're getting ready, and the gun that Derek was using is a Benelli 12 gauge shotgun and it's a semi-automatic shotgun and you have to push the bolt uh, far forward to make sure that it's engaged. Sometimes it looks like it's engaged and it's not. Um, well, we thought I had looked at it. I thought it was good, um, but it wasn't actually my gun. I was not familiar with it. And obviously, you know, new for Derek as well. So that was kind of the, the context for us. So this deer's coming in as a nice seven point buck, right where we're looking for. It comes in. Of even like 35 yards right close to the blind and turned and walked broadside. Uh, just perfect opportunity. Derek's all set up. And uh, I'm like, take the shot, take the shot. The deer's perfectly calm, 35 yards broadside. And it's just click. Derek pulls the trigger and there's just oh, this loud no. click. And the second that that deer heard the click, it was gone. Sure. And uh, it was just immediate reaction. So, so then... So then from there, did you just have to uh, reconfigure the weapon so that you could, and then sit and wait again? Is that what the strategy was? Yeah. So we figured out what was going on with the gun. Uh, and it was pretty obvious. And once we actually play with it a little more, once you push that bolt forward, it actually would click in place. So then we realized uh, that was definitely the issue. So then that was it for the morning. We sat there for another probably three or four hours. And then the morning hunt was over. So we, we went out, um, went to IHOP, got some food, hung out a little bit, uh, got some coffee in our systems. And I think I had a nap. Did you nap then, Derek? No, I don't really nap very well. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I definitely got my coffee fill for sure. And uh, I know it was so upsetting. You know, you, you get so primed, ready to take that shot. And then all of a sudden, all you hear is click. 
and so we we went and drowned our sorrows in coffee for a little bit that morning uh, out at like a very family friendly IHOP. And, uh, and so that was a lot of fun. And then we got back uh, to the farm probably what around three, three o'clock in the afternoon or two o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, I think it was like one or two is when we got back to the blind then. Um, and we, we were ready to go. I mean, yeah. um, the uh, the guys that have just been kind of watching that that farm were telling us that the deer were coming out uh, later in the afternoon. So we went back out a little earlier and we got all our stuff ready to go. We were just really stoked and got right back into it. And we, we sadly spooked some deer as we were coming back in. Uh, to get into the box blind. And I just don't know if there was any way we could have prevented that. We were trying to go downwind and we were following kind of where the the farm uh, meets the woods. And we did spook a few of them, which we're still kind of figuring out what how that happened in some way because we didn't even spook them until we were like well in to the actual blind. So, and then we just got ready and we were good to go. And out of uh, probably what, like about two hours into waiting, um, there was a, a young buck that came down uh, to start getting an afternoon snack. And I remember Jonathan was like, all right, here we go. And there was a young buck coming down. And then all of a sudden he goes, wait, there's another one. And it's a bigger buck. And so wow. We were uh, we waited just a little longer, uh, and the bigger buck kind of pushed the the younger buck out of the way, uh, and the younger buck kind of scampered away a little into the forest, and the big buck was facing me, and so probably for a solid two minutes I was setting on him, waiting for the opportunity to go on that broadside shot, mm-hmm. and you know, we're, we're just like aiming and waiting and aiming and waiting. And then finally he turns, uh, and we took, took the shot. Um, and I mean, if I do say so myself, it was pretty perfect placement. And, uh, so we snagged ourselves a good seven pointer. How much do you think that guy weighed Jonathan? So it was uh, only two and a half year old deer, uh, pretty big body, uh, buck. We didn't actually get it way. We butchered that night. I didn't have a scales. Um, I would probably estimate live weight probably in the, probably close to 200 live weight. It was definitely a big deer. Um, it wasn't just a giant. We did on that same property. We had harvested a, a big 11 point, like five and a half year old this year. That was, that was after it was field dressed was 260. So close to 300 pound deer. That's a giant for an East coast deer. This one was probably, like I said, uh, approaching 200, but definitely a really big deer. And uh, deer hunters are listening to this and know that, you know, if you have a deer that's live weight, 200 pounds, most parts of the country different when you get to the Midwest and the North, but in the East here, that's a, that was a big deer. So I've never gone hunting before. What um, area of the deer are you actually aiming for? I know you said broadside, but are you going up for the, for the shoulder, the rib cage area, or what, what's, where are you aiming for? Yeah. So we actually, with, with Derek being a new hunter, we covered this in depth on Friday because it's one of the most important things uh, for a new hunter, for any hunter is just making accurate and uh, lethal shots. You want that to basically the, the deer not even sure. happen and go down within a second or two. And that's what happened with this deer. So basically what you're looking for is the, you have the lungs and the heart is kind of the uh, right behind the shoulder if an animal's broadside to you. And that's mm-hmm. consistent across most big game animals. Um, and you're basically looking for that double lung uh, or heart shot. And it's, it's all kind of the same area with the, 
a weapon that like a, like a home gauge shotgun slug, um, that's not going to stop by bone or anything like that. It's going to go straight through. So when this deer was quartering towards us slightly. Um, and so basically what I told Derek was as we were set up and it took a step to being more broadside, I was basically to just to place the shot right in the, the shoulder closest to us. So then it would, it would angle through uh, that perfect the kind of the, the kill zone there. And that's mm-hmm. exactly what he did. And his second he shot, uh, I said, you got him because I just saw the impact and the deer ran maybe 30, 40 yards. It was less than two seconds. It was down. Um, so it never knew what happened. It was just perfect uh, execution. And, and uh, yeah, it was, it was about, I think at that point it was like three 30 in the afternoon. Something like that. We had about an hour and a half of daylight left. Um, yeah, it was, it was what was your reaction to actually getting one down Derek? You know, I actually think that waiting for the two minutes uh, was a, uh, was actually really good. I think that for a lot of hunters, it probably happens really quickly because you really do have a smaller window. Uh, but I got lucky in the way that that deer had no idea that we were there. Uh, it was just taking its time eating its afternoon snack. And so I was able to just kind of like, I don't know, just come to peace in a lot of ways with with everything that was going on. Being a first time hunter, especially with a with a deer like that, you know, I, I definitely think in a, in a I didn't necessarily grow up in that kind of a family um, that went hunting or that was just really kind of surrounding themselves with that uh, with outdoor and harvesting in a lot of ways like that per se. But I do think that it was a really awesome first experience um, being able to. Uh, just take a moment to really take in everything around it. Also learning just about everything that was happening, like uh, talking about the immediate kill shot and all that stuff. Uh, you know, I mean, the the deer, you know, it, it was shot, it was out, it was gone. And in, in a lot of ways, uh, it was more exhilarating uh, to be able to eat game that, um you didn't, you had to really work for and hunt for. Um, mm-hmm. Because I think that, you know, there's a lot of stuff. I, I love beef. I love beef. But when it comes to venison uh, and a lot of wild game, the fun part uh, about it is that like, you know, they, they know that you're the hunter. Uh, and so it's, it's really, it is cool because in, they have just as much opportunity in some scenarios to, to get away, especially when we make mistakes. Uh, so it's pretty clear the dynamic in our relationship. And so I really loved that experience. And, uh, and then, so we, we shot the buck and then we were able to get two does, uh, as well. And so we actually were able to, uh, we were able to get uh, three deer in total. We were, I was really stoked. We uh, we were able to go back um, and uh, and get them butchered as well. Actually, Jonathan is quite the master deer butcher, um, and uh, and that was a lot of fun as well. I mean, I think that the the other fun thing about it and the really awesome experience about it is that because we are so separated from our food in a lot of ways. Uh, being able to be there with the deer, not only killing it in, in like a, um, you know, in a hunt, but then also uh, experiencing the whole process. Uh, I mean, I've I've seen lamb and I've seen beef and all that stuff, but it's a whole other experience just being out in nature uh, and and breaking the deer apart, basically. 
Uh, and then being able to see it from the full animal all the way down to the back straps and the stakes and and all of that really makes it I, I think it's awesome. I think so it's then awesome. did you did you do all the cooking while you were still in Maryland or did you butcher it in Maryland and then bring it all back to Pennsylvania? So we butchered it in Maryland um, that night. Okay. I have okay. a friend's place down there that has he's has a little setup in his garage where he's got uh, the biggest thing with I butchered deer in deep in the woods and all over the place. You don't need much equipment other than a good knife and game bags is where to put the the meat as you're taking it off. But it was really nice to be able to suspend the deer in the air. And so we had um, basically like a, a chain system that you just could hook up and then you could suspend the deer. It makes it a lot easier to skin and keep the meat clean, keep it from getting um, any hair or anything like that. So um, we got out, went there, and we were butchering until about 9 o'clock that night. And what I wanted to do uh, was we had... So we had the two does, uh, and one of them was a younger doe, and so that was going to be perfect for the asado. And so we uh, skinned that out and then just basically just left it as one, uh, you know, uh, piece, one one full um, carcass. And then the other, the buck, is what we wanted to use. That was the biggest deer by far, and I wanted to do uh, basically like tomahawks with that. Mm. Um, so we, we, we butchered that one up completely, broke it down. And then I specifically made certain cuts so that the next day um, I could turn those into those tomahawks. So those were the two cooks that we were focusing on during the butchering process. And what's so cool about that whole thing of hunting and, you know, from the philosophical standpoint or from the ethics standpoint, you know, as meat eaters, um, it's just really, I really enjoy having the honesty of, of being able to really have my hands in the whole process and, and seeing it where, you know, like Derek was saying, that deer knows exactly, if he smells a human, he knows exactly why we're there. He's not of no illusions that humans are bad news. And so you're, you're on this level playing field in a sense. Um, deer gets away a lot. We also get deer quite a bit. So it's, it's, it's not, um, by any means, uh, one, one completely one sided. And so you harvest the deer with an intent of a specific, like in this, this weekend, for example, we had a specific, um, recipes we wanted to, to make. And we were looking for specific deer for that. And that's how, that's how closely linked, uh, you know, the food is to the source. And then when we're actually butchering it, which we're doing ourselves, I'm making certain cuts. We're cutting, we're, we're um, butchering deer in a certain way for that recipe. So it's like, there's nobody else. There's no butcher shop. There's no processing. There's no factory farm anywhere in that process. You know, this is a wild animal that we harvested for a specific recipe to eat with our friends and family. We harvest that deer. We butchered that deer specifically for the cuts that we wanted to have, and then we cooked it the next day. And it's just, for me personally, I find that extremely fulfilling, especially when I can involve a new hunter, adult onset hunters. I love doing that. I try to every year bring in somebody that's never hunted. Um, and like when, De when Derek's like getting ready to shoot, like I'm shaking more than he is <laughs> uh, just because I'm so excited for, you know, for him. So, so yeah, back to the butchering, answering the butchering question. Yeah, we butchered in Maryland came back late that night, and then we got ready for the cook on Sunday. And can you explain um, what the difference in taste may be from the buck to the doe or why you chose the buck for those tomahawks um, versus the second doe? Sure. So flavor uh, profiles be very similar. The reason um, for the decision was, was simply based on size. So um, we, Derek had to fly out Sunday afternoon. We didn't have a, a ton of time um, to cook, and so we wanted to have something that we'd be able to cook in a relatively um, – relatively short amount of time. So we need something that would be smaller as, as for the asada, for the asador cook. Mm -hmm. Something that's going to be a bit small. So that was, that was pretty obvious for that. And then 
for the tomahawks, I want the opposite. I want the biggest, you know, possible cut for that because of what we're trying to do with it. So um, that was where we, that's where we made the decision. If we made the reverse decision, we wouldn't have nailed it to get that. We could have definitely cooked the buck all out the door, but it would have taken longer than the time we had. And sure. the tomahawks from the young doe would have been fine. They just would have been uh, a much smaller presentation. Um, yeah. Wouldn't look quite as well on the So that was, those are decisions from a, from a taste standpoint, very similar. From a texture standpoint, uh, a younger deer will be typically more tender. Um, but it's not that there's kind of some misconceptions that you, you shoot an old buck and it's going to be all tough. And it's like, that's not the reality. If you, if you prepare it correctly, there is some difference, but ultimately, um, it's not a thing of, of saying like, oh, like you can't eat this meat or you can't, it's there. It's venison is venison. Um, if you prepare it correctly, it's all going to be great. And with the decisions we we're making were more based on the size of the, of the animal. Cool. So let's, let's get into the cook. Let's talk about, let's talk about the, uh, Alasador first. You want to talk about how you season that? Did you base that throughout the cook? Um, oh, and what was your, yeah. what was your goal temp that you were going for, for that final? When oh you man, well, I think the the one thing that we might've even left off is that we actually made the Asada cross ourselves. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah. So that was like the first, that's the first time, you know, I've done Asada cross cooking a lot, but um, cooking on a self-made asado crust. That was quite the experience. There was a few learning curves that we learned, but Jonathan and I, we basically went into um, the backwoods just off of the back of Brio and we cut down some, uh, some straight branched, um, you know, big, big cuts of branches. And we were just made them into our custom asada. So we had a, um, we had one main, uh, kind of branch in the center that was going to be able to uh, bear the weight of the of the small doe, and then we had two uh, side branches where we were going to hook on um, the legs, and then we had uh, two close to even size supporting branches that we would actually end up uh, leaning the cross over. So we would end up kind of making something similar to like a teepee in some ways, just that like mm -hmm. design. So that we kind of, we made it into an X uh, and then we topped it uh, so we could actually lean it over the fire and be able to counterbalance it. Um, and so I think that we, we use some really sturdy wire uh, and we were able to do that pretty easily. We, uh, we actually, you, so when you have to do a solder, you, you do have to kind of cut down the backbone um, so that you can split it a little bit. So obviously the animal um, can flay open. Uh, and then so we did that and we trimmed it up a little bit. And then we laid uh, the main um, asado piece uh, on the front part of the actual animal uh, so that the backbone was leaning onto it as it was leaning forward. And I actually think that that was probably the best decision because in the end, you're actually going to be able to allow the meat to not really, as it starts to cook, it's not going to sag or anything like that as it kind of starts to melt off the bone and mm -hmm. lose its sturdiness and support. And so we did that and then we tied it all together and I, we literally just seasoned it with uh, just salt um, we just add a bunch of salt onto it at first. Uh, but I think the big trick when it comes to asado cooking, uh, it really comes down to that, uh, the mop that you, yeah. that you use. So I, um, I used a, 
it was a butter and red wine vinegar and oregano and sage and parsley um, and garlic and a, a few other small bits and pieces in there as well. Uh, but really heavy on the butter and the vinegar um, because I really, the butter is going to add fat because that, that dough uh, is a very active animal. So it's really going to be pretty lean cut of meat. Uh, mm-hmm. And then the vinegar is going to just really help uh, kind of get a, a really amazing, you know, tangy-ish, savory-ish flavor onto every part of the animal. Uh, and so that's basically what we did. We cooked it for like three hours, two and a half hours. And we rotated it one time. And it was, I mean, when we when we got done, I mean, it was pulling off the bone. Like it, it was ready to just fall off. Um, sounds delicious. That mop sounds really good with it. Yeah, it was. It was, and I also went a little heavy on the garlic as well, just because I like. I like Nothing it. wrong with that. <laughs> Nothing wrong with garlic. <laughs> wow, that sounds delicious. So, is do you pull it similar to how you would a hog, or um, or are there pieces of meat that are a little that you would cook to a more um, I don't know medium t- type temperature, where that you'd maybe do them in slices. Um, I think that there are definitely parts of it. Like I think that the legs and the hams and stuff like that um, would definitely be something that you, it would, it, it did take a little longer to cook those, uh, but the bones and kind of near that, the back strap and the tenderloin as well. I mean, you could literally, we were just putting our fingers in and grabbing out handfuls with ease. So I think that those are, those are really easy to cook. Um, but even Jonathan, I mean, when you, when you started breaking it uh, apart for just everybody that was there, um, I mean, the legs basically just came off, right? Yeah, they did. It was, it was, so we didn't take the internal temperature that crazy high. Um, obviously, with you know, all outdoor, you're going to have different temps on different parts, absolutely, because it's a, you know, a very diverse piece of meat and it's over a very diverse fire. So you're not going to have... A consistent temperature the whole thing um there were parts if i remember right Derek, you can uh, remind me i think we had parts in like 145s still um it wasn't like everything was up in the 170s or 180s um so when i took off the back ham um it was falling off the bone ish it wasn't like pulled pork where you could just pull the bone out it wasn't even mm-hmm. close to that it was because it was still you know on the meat uh, you know, i mean parts of it would almost been medium um you know it's a medium well medium rare in that range but because of the slow cook time and the, uh, the consistent mopping, it was even parts that were, you know, in the medium uh, to medium well range were still a lot softer than I was expecting to be. So when I served it, it wasn't quite a pull. Like if you, if you would have taken it another two hours, then I probably would have just pulled most of the, like, the, like the bigger pieces of the hands and the shoulders and just had more like pulled venison. It was more at a point now where you just sliced it almost like maybe more like a prime rib as an example, where you're serving it. It's t- very tender. Uh, it's very moist, but you're not pulling it and putting it on a sandwich like that, if that makes sense. So somewhere in that kind of yeah. cool zone is where I would put it. Very cool. Now for, for when I've had deer before, um, sometimes deer has been a little bit more gamey and sometimes it hasn't. Would you say that that's based on the cut or based on the animal itself or the hunting process? So a lot of it comes down to the preparation, uh, preparation, meaning what happens before it actually gets to uh, the cook. So okay. um, one thing that, and this is back to what I was saying earlier about having control. 
the mm-hmm. whole process. Um, you know, some hunters will not get not like so. Basically, the, the process that deer goes through after it's harvested is uh, once it's on the ground, um, you gut it, which you remove the entrails, and let it get it to cool down. You try and get the internal body temp cool as quickly as possible, uh, and then the skin comes off, and then you break it down to quarters, and you break it down from quarters into individual cuts. And so, at any point in that process, if somebody's you know lazy or isn't doing their job correctly or is not really is a little negligent, it's going to affect the meat flavor and it's going to get more gamey. Um, so if if whoever's uh, doing the gutting process isn't doing a good job and there's and you know entrails are being cut into and the stomach uh, is being opened up and that's getting on the meat, that's going to affect that's going to add a gamey flavor to it that you definitely don't want. If you're not getting the temperature cooled down quickly enough, it's still mm-hmm. perfectly edible. I mean, to a point, of course. Um, but it, that's going to affect the uh, the meat uh, gaminess, and then even how um, quickly it's trans like what, as the temperature comes down, then uh, how that how those cuts are even cut not as much will affect the flavor, but will definitely affect affect the uh, texture as you would with anything else. Like with skirt steak, you got to cut, cut across the grain. There's certain mm-hmm. cuts in the deer. You're going to make certain decisions if you know what you're what you're doing. So um, that's why I I struggle sometimes to let my deer just go to a butcher shop, uh, especially if it's like in the open day of the season where that butcher shop has 200 deer in a pile, because it's just yeah. not going to be treated. That deer is just going to end up being more gaming. It's just the reality because it's not going to be treated with white gloves the way that I would like to treat it. So mm-hmm. a lot of times when people experience wild game and it's gamey, I would say, I'm just, I mean, just, just to guess half of the time that problem happened before it was ever even prepared to cook. It was happened, you know, during the, uh, process of, of whatever the hunter was doing. And then half the time, it just wasn't prepared correctly. Um, so with, with the all out the door, I was very curious to see what that was going to be like, because it, you know, it, it was the first time I'd ever cooked a deer like that. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, Derek, you can speak for yourself, but I was just shocked at how mild it was. I mean, it, you couldn't taste anything wild at all. I myself don't even really mind a little bit of wild flavor. It kind of reminds me what it is, but it had none. Like it, it didn't, it didn't have any, the parts that we had tasted, um, didn't have any uh, that I that I tasted. What do you think, Derek? No, I think I mean it. Really, it was very clean and easy to eat uh, when it as when it comes to like venison. I've definitely had a few that I would say are mm, probably something that people would consider like gamey, but this was not at all. Honestly, it was like it was amazing. It was delicious. And part That's of it awesome. too, Christy. And the second part of the answer would also be that. There is like that we um, were less than 24 hours from when that deer was harvested to when we were eating it. Mm-hmm. That definitely helps. Um, you know, that that doesn't leave any time for any kind of because because wild game can freezer burn like anything else. And even a little freezer burn a wild game. I think it's you, you notice it a lot more. I do at least. I think it it's like anything like that that happens um, will swing, swing the pendulum towards that gamey flavor faster than it would with a cut of beef. Um, mm-hmm. so having it, you know, fresh like that, uh, I think definitely helped. Wow. What an experience you guys had. That's, it's really amazing. And the fact that you're able to share this with all our listeners is really cool too. Cause I'm sure we have hunters who listen, but I'm sure we have others who are maybe hunted and never took it to this level of doing it, cooking it over the cross. And, um, wow, it's, I learned a lot myself <laughs> again, not being a hunter. Um, this is really cool, really, uh, really fascinating and, and intense. So yeah, this Awesome job, you guys. And the fact that you built your own cross, like, it's <laughs> so badass. <laughs> yeah, I will say that was, uh, I don't know what you think, Derek. That was maybe the most stressful part 
um, because we were on a time crunch and it was cold that morning, like really cold. And um, we were on a little bit of time crunch. What really, I think what really saved the day with that was drilling the holes through the cross pieces and through the bones. You ran the wire all the way through both. And that just gave a really firm anchor point. Um, yeah. And the other thing is we had wire that was maybe a little bit too, a little too heavy, it was like 50 pound wire. And it was like, it was amazing from strength, but it was, especially with being having cold fingers, it was a little tough to get it to do what you wanted to do. So uh, I think next time I'll go a little bit lighter gauge and then maybe just go a few more times. I don't know what, what you think on that Derek. Yeah, I think that that definitely made a difference. Um, I, you know, ha having a little bit different of a wire might make a difference, but definitely drilling the holes through the main part of the bones um, at the ends and then just really being able to, to keep that secure anchor point. That I think that that makes a really big difference. And then, you know, if you have to improvise or make things work by, you know, bringing in some modern technology, there were a couple moments where we ended up having to use some screws um, just because, you know, that's just life, but it looked awesome. So that was, that was it. Yeah. I got the job done. Yeah, and if you guys didn't didn't see this yet, please go to their Instagram pages over the fire cooking. And Jonathan, did you post it on your personal page or your Brio page? I was posting on my personal page. Uh, I posted some of it on Brio um, for the Asado cook. We weren't actually, of course, using a Brio, so uh, sure. the Brio uh, folks. I wanted to kind of direct them to Derek's page to get all the ins and outs on that side. I was more posting about the tomahawks. Uh, mm -hmm. but definitely go to over the fire cooking. It's like probably right when this episode goes out. It'll probably be. I don't know what, maybe six or seven posts back, but you'll see the thumbnail there is the deer uh, on the wooden wooden asado cross there, and uh, definitely want to check check that out. Very cool. Yeah, we didn't even get into the tomahawks yet. So what was the what was the preparation on those? So that's pretty straightforward. Basically, what you're doing is you're taking the the, the rib cage, uh, which those ribs go up against the spine, and then you have basically what would be the back straps. So so traditionally, what you do is you pull the back straps out and cook those. Um, into, you know, by themselves. Uh, but what I want to do this time was for more of a, you know, kind of a unique appearance. And also because I wanted, I wanted to just try and, and because cooking it on the rim of the Phoenix, the bones actually are kind of nice. You can just grab the bone to flip it both ways. So what we did was, um, basically about halfway down the rib, like half, half of the ribs, like they kind of come in like that half moon shape. You kind of cut them right in the middle. So you have the ribs that go down to the belly would not be part of the cook and the ribs that, that the half of the rib that goes up towards the background would be. And then it's just a matter of cleaning off each rib. Um, and then that meat can then be ground up for sauce or anything like that that you pull off. But then, you, then the ribs are clean. And then just going between each rib and cutting, um, you know, cutting all the way through. So you have, you're left with this piece. Um, but, and then before, before we did that, you take um, a saw and basically take the, uh, go right along the spine so that what the piece that comes off would be, that, basically that whole half of that part of the deer, which would include one half of like one back strap, one on each side and the rib bones. And then just cut them in, you know, basically into little tomahawks. And then there you go. That's really all there is to it. They're awesome. Right, so did you cook those on the Brio or yeah, how do you cook those? On the yeah. Of the Phoenix. Yep. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Well, sounds like you guys had a blast, a great weekend. You ate well um, and you were so connected to what you were eating and that makes it even more beautiful and the respect that you paid to those animals was really beautiful as well so kudos thanks for sharing all of that with us next time we're gonna have to uh try to get you out here at least yeah. participate <laughs> maybe not Absolutely. Hunting, but you can come and 
help us with our cooking uh, uh, adventures. <laughs> yes, I would love that. That would be awesome. I think the yeah. next thing for me too is doing uh, bow hunting, like doing yeah. doing a little yeah. for the deer. I think that sounds definitely. Amazing. Yeah, it, it takes to a different level um, when it comes to from, from the hunter. It requires a lot more from the hunter. So from discipline, uh, focus, and just you know practice. It's it's back to that thing of the even playing field with the animal. Is that when you bow hunt, the animal now has the advantage because it's going to have to get very very close to you, and that's extremely difficult um, because they are have very good senses. So yeah, next I'll well it'll be interesting to see what Derek does with his hunting journey in the next few years. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, um, we should probably wrap up here soon, but one thing I want to give the folks that are listening a little bit of a heads up, or we, we talked about before the podcast, that we should probably start talking about the holidays. Christmas is going to be here literally. And I can use the word literally here, literally before we know it, because it's, it's, we're at the 13th right now. And it's kind of a short month. We're going to get to Christmas very soon. And um, so Christy, I would love if you could kind of break down what are like the maybe like three to four main big proteins that you recommend that are, you know, kind of on brand for the holidays, for the Christmas season, and uh, maybe your personal strategy and kind of give people just a heads up and then maybe the next episode we can break it down a little further. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, go on with proteins, look at your budget and go from there. A showstopper is always a beautiful prime rib roast. Um, if you have a large group, you don't have to get a seven bone, just go for like a three or four bone prime rib roast. And that'll still serve you plenty, plenty of meat for your, um, for your crowd, your family, whoever's coming over. Um, if you listen to last week's episode about reverse searing, that is a pretty much the technique that I use every time I'm cooking a prime rib roast. So that's definitely an awesome protein to go with a ham. You can't go wrong with a ham. Um, I highly recommend getting a spiral sliced ham. Um, it's already sliced for for you. So it makes it a lot easier when it comes to service. But when you pick those up in the store um, or online, they're already smoked for you. They're already cooked. So the main key with that is that you're just going to be reheating it nice and slow and low, um, keeping some moisture in that pan while you're cooking it so that your ham stays nice and juicy. And then you can finish it off with a, a nice sweet and savory glaze. Um, and those are, you know, you can pick up a, a good size ham for anywhere from 20 bucks to 200 bucks, depending on um, what you're looking for. Um, but that's a good option. You can do your turkey again. Um, but most of the time, at least in my family, they're like, okay, we just had the turkey. Let's let's try something else. So if you want to go the poultry realm, um, maybe a, a goose or a duck, the, those are two exciting things that you could cook. Um, you can pick up goose or duck online. Um, and actually my grocery stores around here in Las Vegas actually do sell goose and duck this time of year. So those are a couple of nice options too, where you could you could smoke either one of those birds. So just a few different ideas. That's awesome. Thank you, Christy. I think I might snag the goose idea for myself personally. Um, nice. Of course, being myself, it's going to have to be a wild goose. So I'm going to have to. Excellent. That, but, <laughs> um, what's your, can you just give me like real quickly, what's your, what's your goose? Like your, your, just in a real quick snapshot, what's the best way to do a goose? You know, I would do I would do a slow and low personally because um, you want to pick up some of that smoke and you could go with actually um, a little like I would probably go with hickory on that. Um, I would just like the flavor of hickory with it. Um, you could do a baste with it, uh, maybe mix in a little bit of either something that's got some acid base. So either some vinegar or some orange juice as you're basting it. Um, and then for a glaze, you could do a nice compote that maybe has some uh, macerated cherries in there, again, with a little bit of vinegar, orange juice, some sugar, um, and some fresh herbs. Absolutely. Um, and usually finish that off to like 160, 165. Right, right. 
Sweet. Awesome. Yeah. Those are some great tips. Um, Derek, do you have anything real quick? Uh, any final thoughts from either of you before we send our folks packing till next week? Uh, not too much. I do think that um, I've been getting really into doing uh, beef tenderloin. So I think that that's also a really great option during the holidays as well. Uh, so Absolutely. I think that's a little overwhelmed with rib breasts or whatever. The fun part about beef tenderloin is that you can, uh, if you wrap it or even get it wrapped for you, you can actually cook it pretty easily on a grill, even direct cooking, uh, just rotating it and making sure it doesn't get burned and then basting it with some butter, like herb butter or something like that that's been melted. So I do think, but I'm excited. I think next week we should totally just dive into what is some of the best ways to approach these big ones, uh, these big cooks uh, as we head into the holidays and give some, you know, cool, interesting, unique, and also practical tips uh, for making sure that you just crush it as you head into the holidays. Absolutely. Anything else? From Sounds you? good. No, no. I'm again, always grateful for those who are tuning in. So thank you guys so much. Hope you have an awesome week and uh, are getting ready for the holidays and, and come back and see us next week too, so that we can help you prepare. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much. We appreciate you staying with us for 12 episodes. We're going to do these every week and thanks for joining us on the ride. And thank you for the feedback you've been giving us. It's been great. We will see you on next week's episode.